the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. Get all your questions answered. Legacy Precious Metals is a wonderful sponsor of this show. We appreciate them so much. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. So we hear a lot about the woke, right? One of my favorite people that I've met since I've started my new career is Jennifer Say. She's out with a book called Levi's Unbuttoned. The woke mob took my job, but gave me my voice. Jennifer's been on this show twice before. She's our first three-time guest, but this time she is joined by her husband. And there's a reason for that. He too has spoken out about COVID policy. And he is still suspended from Twitter. I mean, think about that. The man's public voice has been taken away. Jennifer Say has very publicly lived through a firing from Levi's. But as she said, they took her job, but she's sticking with her voice. She apologizes to no one for the beliefs that she has about masking up kids in school, about vaccine mandates and the like. I admire this woman so much because she is an example of what we need in this country to stand up for the values that we believe in, namely freedom for everyone, for all the inner city kids who were kept out of schools for two years, for every child who's had part of their lives stolen from them. And how are we going to repair all of that? I read Jennifer's book before it was published. I highly recommend it. And now you'll get to hear from Jennifer and her amazing husband after this. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Jennifer, you have the distinction of being a three-time guest on this podcast. Tyrus has been on twice. You've broken the record, but this time you have a guest with you, your husband, Daniel, and I'm afraid I'm going to say it wrong again. Kotzen. Kotzen. <laughs> you know what? I spent all morning going, Kotzen, Kotzen, what is it? And I'll ask him, and then he'll tell me, and then I'll know, and I still am screwing it up. So I'm just going to call you Daniel from now on. Perfect. Um, it's really important that I have you both together, I think. I think it's important for people to hear how you two have supported each other. Daniel, I looked for you on Twitter yesterday. Are you still suspended? I'm still suspended. Some of us that had been kicked off had high hopes for the Elon Musk takeover, but so far he hasn't brought back anyone that was kicked off for, quote, misinformation. So we're, we're waiting. I'm still hoping that somehow I'll get to come back one day. Well, I tweeted out to, to free you 
Um, and I used your Twitter handle and I, 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 you know, put the little at Elon Musk on there. So hopefully he'll see it. He seems to be reading his tweets, but I mean, yeah, we've talked with Jen so often about what she has stood for and stood up for and talked uh, about, which obviously brings us to where we are now with the publication of her new book, which I'm so thrilled about. But Daniel, explain to people why you were suspended from Twitter. So I was an early opponent of vaccine mandates um, when that was a very, very unpopular view, even though this was only about a year and a half ago. And I um, kept getting suspended by Twitter for saying things that were factually correct, um, which is what was the most frightening thing about it. And then my final tweet that got me permanently expelled, um, let's see if I know it by heart, um, blood clots and myocarditis and myocarditis are known potential side effects of the COVID vaccines. That is not my idea of safe. So for that, I was permanently banned from Twitter. I stated a fact because we have evidence that they can cause blood clots and myocarditis. And then my opinion, that's not my idea of safe. Because of that, I'm not allowed on Twitter. The, this is the most terrifying thing about Jennifer's story and and you add to it is that these things that are either factual or opinion based are being banned, are being shut down from the town square. Now, people will say, well, Twitter's a private company. They can do that. But what is this saying about our discourse in America? Um, Jennifer, it's neat that you your first book tour appearance was with Megyn Kelly. How, wh- what was her main sort of question for you about how, how this book came about and why you're so passionate about these issues? Well, it's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's interesting because she was my first stop when I, after I resigned very publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of in a, in a rush and there was a lot of chaos. So I've had a lot more time to kind of think and ponder and write the book. And so you know, she was very interested in um, what's happened since, you know, in the nine months since I resigned from Levi's, um, in the fact that everything I was saying at this point has been proven correct. Mm-hmm. Um, the long-term harms from prolonged school closures, that's all sort of accepted as fact now. Uh, there's no one really arguing that. Everybody has accepted that there are mental health impacts and there's been tremendous catastrophic learning loss. And yet there is no apology to those who were censored, uh, who were fired. Um, There's a request for amnesty for those (laughs) who are wrong. So, you know, those who vociferously advocated uh, that schools needed to be closed, they're sort of asking for amnesty and they're saying, well, we did it out of the goodness of our hearts. We might have been wrong, but we did it for the right reasons. Now, those of us who were right are still being told we did it for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Somehow we were mean and cruel and didn't care about children and teachers. And so there's no amnesty for us. And and that was kind of the focus of the conversation. We did talk about the election results a bit as well. Uh, But the, the focus was that, you know, now that it's clear that you were right, just like it's clear that Daniel was right, myocarditis and blood clots are known side effects. It doesn't matter. There's no forgiveness for us, even though we were correct. Now, one might argue, even if we weren't, it doesn't matter. These are ideas that needed to be discussed. Yeah. You know, in, and, and 
you mentioned Twitter's a private company, which is always the retort, right? Yes. But what, I'm, what I'm talking about and what Daniel has been talking about is a culture of free speech. Yes. Okay, fine. Technically, sure, they can do whatever they want. But when we censor voices of dissent, we can never have the correct conversation about what the right path forward should be. And if voices like mine had not been shunted to the side, if people like me weren't demonized, others would have been less afraid to speak up. And we could have had a real societal conversation. And ultimately, I think we would have opened schools sooner, which is really the point here. It's not about me getting fired. It's not about any of that. It's about not furthering this culture of debate and dissent that allows us to get to the truth. That's what's so alarming. Alarming is a great word because, I mean, the fact that, Daniel, that you were suspended multiple times and then now are still in this unending or, you know, whatever you want to call it, this this suspension, this state of suspension, it's like yeah. sort of like you're just floating. Uh, the fact that that is happening in the United States of America where the bedrock of freedom is is free speech, freedom of expression, it, it is just, to me, that is maybe the most terrifying part of all of this that I have seen and the most disturbing and the part that needs fighting back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Daniel, I know you've supported Jennifer the whole way through this ridiculous saga that she's had to endure. What was it like for you as a spouse, as the father of the kids she was standing up for, to, to witness all of this? Um, I would guess the best word is, is, is really frustrating. From, from the beginning, um, I sort of felt like we as a society were, were having an insane reaction. You talked about constitutional rights. Also in the First Amendment is the right to assemble. We were, that right was just taken away. We were told you have to stay home. And I started to talk to people. I said, this is the government telling us we don't have the right to assemble. Let's go assemble and show them they can't take this right away from us. And everyone said, yes, they can. We're staying home. And so um, to go back also to what you were saying about Twitter, I think the most alarming aspect is the government involvement in all of this. Levi's was only a, an instrument of larger powers. I would say. So Twitter in the same case, I'm, I'm involved in a case um, brought by NCLA Legal. I have two other co-plaintiffs, Michael Sanger and Mark Changizi, and we sued the U.S. government for putting pressure on Twitter to expel us. And more and more evidence is coming out that indeed they were just following government instructions. They were not behaving like a private company. They were an arm of the government. 
Um, and it wasn't just that. There was billions of dollars were spent by our government to advertise the vaccines. So they paid celebrities everywhere you went. There were celebrities saying, take the vaccine. Our five-year-old daughter watches her videos on YouTube. Every 20 minutes, they're telling her, have you gotten your vaccine yet? Right. We are paying for that. We, the taxpayer. And so we have all the agents of the government propaganda convincing people to believe certain things. And it's that's the scariest part to me is that the government hand is involved in it. They're not allowing the free marketplace of ideas. Can, can I just add one thing? Because I think yeah. one of the commonalities here, which I alluded to earlier, is that what we were saying was true and yet still um, considered unacceptable. The things Daniel said were true. There were people, and I write about this in the book, and you've read it, Michelle, thank you for yeah. the lovely <clears throat> blurb, but I include an email um, from an email exchange from the head of HR at the time who was urging me to delete some posts that went beyond kids in schools, which had been my focus for about a year and a half. But I was alarmed by other things at a certain point, you know, two-year-olds being masked, yeah. doctors threatening in the fall of 21, um, and suggesting strongly that unvaccinated patients should not be treated um, by doctors or hospitals, which is a clear violation of the Hippocratic Oath. So I was asked to remove some of these tweets. I complied. I was trying to keep my job, despite <laughs> what may be appearance um, otherwise. But she actually agreed that I was right. I mean, the email is in, in, in the book. So it's hard to convey how alarming it is for people to say, yes, sure, you're right, but you cannot say that. Because, because the subtext here is because we must support the propaganda. Yeah. I mean, how can we say that we have a, a, a society where citizens have free speech when you can't even say a thing that is patently acknowledged as true. She yeah. agreed with me. She yeah. said it. She agreed with me on schools and still said, and this is all in the book, but you can't say it. I th think about that. And, and that is a really compelling part of the book. And I highly encourage people to, Daniel, hold it up again. It's I'm such a it darling up. cover. Levi's Unbuttoned, uh, Jennifer Say's terrific book. I couldn't put it down because it was, see, I think one of the issues we're dealing with here in America is we're, we still believe we live in America and this stuff couldn't possibly happen. No, the, no, 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 no. You think the government actually used Twitter as an arm? No, that can't, that can't be. This is just, this is America. That doesn't happen. No, you, no, Facebook would never do this. It wouldn't, no, this can't happen. It's happening. And it's, and we're not a bunch of tinfoil hat people here. There are more and more of us coming together and acknowledging. And, and as you said, people have acknowledged it. The proof is coming out that this stuff is happening. So I don't think people care, Michelle. I mean, you, you don't think they care. Exchange on that. I think that's what, that's my phase of being alarmed now is yes, it's coming out and people say, so what? It's okay. You were saying bad stuff. You can't say that stuff. They, they are willing to exchange their freedom for this fake feeling of safety. You're not yeah. safe when your freedoms are taken away. And that's, to me, what's most alarming is as the facts come out, that none of what Daniel or I or anyone else who was banned or fired or demonized have said were lies. They were either factually correct or opinions, which we're allowed to have. People don't care. 
They want, they want it. They want the silencing. They want there to be no debate. They want to follow what the government says unquestioned. They accept it. And that to me is really, really scary. <laughs> you know, well, it's, it's, it's scary, especially Daniel, when you, you say that governors get these and presidents get these emergency powers. Yeah. And you know, this, this state of emergency uh, under COVID and the president can, on the one hand, say, oh, the pandemic is over, but I still have emergency powers and I'm going to forgive all this student debt and do whatever else that I have the power to do when I have emergency powers. And how those emergency powers are claimed by, let's say, a governor of California or wherever, and they don't want to let go. So mm-hmm. at, at what point do we, the citizens, get to stand up and say, well, hold on, we elected you and screw this emergency power. So we're all, we want to live our lives. I think there are some glimmers uh, um, of hope because two of the biggest winners in the election were um, Ron DeSantis in Florida and Jared Polis in Colorado, one Republican and one Democrat. They both ran on freedom platforms explicitly. They more than running, more than running as a Republican, DeSantis run, ran as a freedom warrior. Polis, although he did, was a Democrat, he said freedom, no vaccine mandates, no mask mandates. In Colorado, we give individual choice. So I think that's a glimmer of hope. I'm not sure what the solution is, but we need to try and encourage people to fight for freedom. And I think it's more than just America. I think without sounding grandiose, I think it's important for everyone on the whole planet. America represents something. I've lived outside of the U.S. in various countries a lot of Americans don't realize how America is thought of in a lot of places. It stands for individual freedom. And people around the world have been writing to me since the beginning of COVID. We need America to lead us. We need to show that the way to respond to a pandemic is the way to respond to everything else with individual freedoms, not with top-down government dictates on how to behave. And I, I really think it's important what's going to happen in the next few years in America. No one else is going to do it. Um, if we don't want to live in a world where we've got digital IDs and Chinese child so- style social credit scores, the, the battle is coming now. And, you know, I would add to that. I write about this in the book, as you know, you know, when I traveled to Moscow in 1986 as a teenager, the most valuable currency was Levi's because <laughs> they represented freedom and individualism and free speech. I was able to trade these for what was sort of gold to me, you know, sweats and leotards from the Russian athletes. And when the Berlin Wall came down and we had these pictures up at Levi's everywhere, men atop the wall were wearing Levi's. This was not product placement. This was for real. And there was a reason. It It's because Levi's were the embodiment of these American ideals. And I think that's why my story has resonated with folks, because they think about Levi's that way as this sort of beacon of individualism and the best of American values. And and so to come back to Daniel's point, this is what, you know, put Levi's aside for a second. But America does stand for this around the world. And if we fail to live up to that, there's just little hope that (laughs) there's there's no place left to go. Yeah. Yeah. Although There's no I place think, left. Yeah. I mean, I think the the problem with this, this, this situation is 
more and more speech is unacceptable. More and more of us are going to be exiled. And eventually, aren't we all going to be the minority? <laughs> you know, these pissed off people that were canceled or exiled who moved to freer states. And at a certain point, don't we all become the minority? I mean, the majority. Right, right, right. It's, it's, I, I liken it to, you know, Black Lives Matter. Okay. And then it comes out Black Trans Lives Matter. Okay. Brown, Hispanic, trans lives matter. Okay. Uh, female, you know, um, LGBTQ, black lives matter. No, Ultimately, I... you get to all lives matter, right? <laughs> Ultimately, you get there. When you start adding every category to the lives matter thing, ultimately, we get to all lives matter because, you know, as much as we feel like these little, these little groups, I, I do feel like it's expanding. I do think there's some important voices out there who are speaking to this. But um, when we come back from this break, I do want to touch on the elections and the big announcement from Donald Trump last night. We've got Jennifer Say and Daniel Kotzen, right? We'll take it. Kotzen. Did I do it wrong? God, Daniel oh, yeah. K, her yeah. beloved husband, whose name I keep screwing up. We'll talk to them right after this. So we've had the midterms and now we're looking forward to 2024 already. But the bottom line in everyone's life is how are they going to manage their own economic situations? And there are short-term, midterm, and long-term goals that you have to set up, right? Your short-term goal is how am I going to afford gas today for the car? The medium term is maybe, okay, I'm looking out at Christmas. Can I afford the kinds of gifts that I want? Or maybe I have to change that plan. And the long-term is how am I going to retire? We've got a weakening dollar. We've got inflation through the roof. This is where gold and silver come in. And the only people I trust to invest in gold and silver for me are legacy precious metals. And the reason is, is they really talk to each individual client about what their needs are, about how much or how little they need to invest to sort of flesh out their portfolio and, and, and protect their wealth. That's what you need to do for the long term. And it's important that you think about it now and don't wait. Remember 2008, those who invested in gold back then during that big financial crisis, well, they had significant gains and others lost their retirements. So please get a hold of Legacy Precious Metals. I'm going to give you the phone number. It's 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Just ask your questions. Be curious. Get answers to your satisfaction before you make any decisions. You can also download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. So Tuesday, November 15th, we got the big announcement that we all expected. I had written an open letter to Donald Trump to please not run again. Let's let's you know, you had your time. You were a disruptor at the right moment. And now we need to move on to something a little calmer. Same policy. Sure. Maybe without the drama, without the baggage. Apparently, he didn't get my letter, but he decided to run anyway. It was an interesting announcement. He does stand for a lot of what we're talking about here. No mandates, no masks, freedom, the little guy, the the workers, etc. What well, do you he, see? He, he claims to stand for that. Okay, so you so you're skeptical. Well, I'm, well, first of all, 
I don't think it's nothing to claim for stand to something, whether it's Donald Trump or anyone else. At least you're admitting that it's a value and it's an issue of concern. I, my, unlike, I don't love or hate Donald Trump. I never did. I've sort of been bemused by watching the world's reaction to me. It's just like a clown. I was like, why do you love him or hate him? What's the, what's the excitement? Um, he needs to be defeated. Hopefully, in my opinion, by Ron DeSantis. How do they do it when you're a lion or a deer, the top alpha male needs to be defeated. Of course he's going to run. Hopefully, from my point of view, he'll be destroyed in the primaries by someone else. To expect him not to run was silly. Of course he's going to run. Now you're calling me silly, Daniel, and I'm just offended. Yeah, he'll never admit defeat or being wrong, obviously. I think it's that's why I don't know, Daniel, if in Jennifer, if he is defeatable in the primaries. I mean, I I think if the Republican Party surrounded one candidate and we didn't have to go through this, you know, 16 candidates and he knocks them out one by one. I I think Ron DeSantis is the guy. But Jennifer, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say in terms of claiming to stand for these things, it's it's important to remember he did preside at the beginning of covid Mm -hmm. over. Now, there wasn't a national lockdown, but the message he sent allowed for lockdowns at the state level, school closures at the state level. He did not stand for freedom. He he's I have a different opinion than Daniel on Trev. I'm less bemused. I find his whole sort of presentation incredibly corrosive and problematic, and I find it to be sort of a charade. Um, I don't think he really gets anything done. And I. I, he may be undefeatable. I have no idea. I won't prognosticate about that. But when you compare him to DeSantis, who runs on freedom, but also beyond COVID, who set very clear policies allowing for the freedoms in his state, he required teachers to go back to school despite tremendous pushback. He never allowed any mandates, but he's also done other things, right? He, he really does drive policy. People can like him or hate him for his presentation, but he lowered prescription drug prices in the state. He raised teacher salaries. He, you know, during COVID eliminated this crazy rule that you couldn't visit loved ones, dying family members in the hospital. He really did set policy that furthered his belief in in freedom and also on be I mean some of these things I've just said lowering prescription drug prices raising teacher salaries it, you know these are for the people yeah. these are very much in favor of the the every man and woman and so I just Trump doesn't do it he waves a lot of sabers and he offends a lot of people and there's a lot of people like me And I put myself in a slightly different category than Daniel, you know, disaffected, former liberals, Democrats, now independent. I won't vote for him. You know, I'll just probably skip it if he's I don't know who the other I don't even know what I'd do if it was him and Biden. Um, Whereas I am open to a different Republican. Gotcha. That's that's the overwhelming sense that I get. And And you're not the only person who has said just that. That, you know, I can I can vote Republican if it's the right Republican. And you mentioned a lot of things that DeSantis did. And I'll say one other. I thought the handling of the hurricane and the aftermath was about as close to masterful as it could have been. When you compare what happened with Katrina in Louisiana, which was a freaking debacle. And this had nothing to do with whoever the president was in office. 
a governor oversees a state's emergency planning. And I thought it was done so incredibly well. I have a place down there. I have lots of friends who experienced things, but to, to recover as now it's, it's not all over, but they are recovering very quickly. And it's, it's again, it's just putting your, putting your hand down and saying, here's what has to be done. Go do it. You know, let's get this done. He does. He asks, you know, it's not just a bunch of ideology and saber rattling. He actually acts in defense of the people of his state. Trump, Trump had his chance. Let's not forget that warp speed, the vaccine was Trump until two or three months ago. He was proud of that. I believe if memory serves that after publicly having COVID, Trump went on TV and got vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Anyone who got vaccinated for an illness they just had a month earlier, in my opinion, is unfit to be president. I know that counts half the country, but guys, if you just had the, I mean. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> the politicians who put their finger in the air and see yeah. which way the wind is blowing and, and, exactly. and jump on for the ride. Yeah. Exactly. Let me give one other example. I think. I think Trump needs to be defeated because too many people, Democrat, Republican and independent, are still under the influence of the Trump mystique and they think he has a lot of power. Someone needs to take him down. And I think his mystique will disappear quickly. I keep thinking of some of the European dictators like Mussolini. He was very popular. Everyone loved him in Italy. Ladies swooned for him, except for then they didn't. And they hung him up in the city square and everyone cheered when they lynched him. Same thing happened to Ceausescu in Romania. That's the fate of these charismatic leaders. When their followers turn on them, they turn fast. The loyalty to Trump is shallow. None of these people knew who Trump was eight years ago, 10 years ago. They they, they watched The Apprentice. Well, fine. I, 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 I'm saying their loyalty to Trump, they turn quickly. When it happens, it happens fast. And if we had, if DeSantis destroys him in a couple primaries, and Trump is Trump and says really mean, stupid things. He could find himself without any friends or allies because he doesn't have any real friends can, or allies. Can we just talk for a second? I know at the risk of sounding totally ageist, which I've already been accused of. But seriously, we're going to have two octogenarians battling no. it out to be our president. We can't. I mean, it's not ageist. It's just recognition of the fact that yeah. your mental capacities decline with age. All of us. That's not ages to say it. It's just fact. This denial of reality across the board in America right now of so yeah. many facts is also very alarming. I mean, at Levi's, board members had to resign, have to still resign or step down. At, I think it's their 71st birthday. Why? Do we just not like 72-year-olds? No, that's not it. It's because it's a recognition. And this is very common board practice and executive practice. So companies acknowledge it. Board practices require it. And yet it's okay. They would both be in their early 80s. I know. I know. this. And and, and I, again, I wrote this open letter to Donald Trump, and that was one of the things that I said, look, uh, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to be this age when 2024 comes along and it happens to everyone. And we're seeing it in plain sight right now with Joe Biden. We've been seeing it since the day he stepped in the Oval. We've seen this cognitive decline. And it's it does not strengthen your position when you don't appear to know what you're talking about. And and on the not only on the national stage, but maybe more importantly, on an international stage, when a guy like Biden um, just really doesn't appear to be 
in control of all of his faculties. I would say the same thing about Fetterman. His wife called yeah, yeah. people ableists. Well, exactly. you know what? You do need to be somewhat mentally able to function if yeah. you're going to be a United States senator or any other office, I would I argue. Mean, what? It's the standard tactic, Michelle, though. Just call, use a name. Yeah. Uh, and then you silence the conversation. Just yes. Just like I was called racist for wanting schools to open, even though this would have benefited the black children of San Francisco. Yeah. It, it doesn't have any grounding in reality, but it does silence the conversation because no one wants to be called these things. Yeah. I mean, do we want blind pilots? Like, is everything <laughs> okay? Their capability does matter. And I, I feel bad for Fetterman, but yeah, I, I I'm too. quite, to come back to this word, alarmed at the way the press treats these issues. Mm -hmm. Anyone, you know, the press is accusing people of ageism for, for calling out um, what appears to be compromised mental faculties from both Biden as well as Fetterman. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not making the case for the other candidate either. Um, and to bring it back to Trump, as we've all seen at this point, the Trump endorsed candidates did not fare well yeah. in this recent election. Um, but we've got to get away from using these ad hominem attacks to silence any sort of debate and conversation. We're never engaged on the merits of the conversation. And, and, and that is in large part due to the people who get the names thrown at them. They've got to be able to stand tough and say, you know, that's if all you have to answer my argument is a name to call me. You've got no argument. So I'm winning and I'm going to keep talking and and not allow themselves to be silenced. I know that's easier it's said hard. than done, but people have to do it, Daniel. Well put. Yeah, you were saying just basically what I was about to say is that we need people to stand up. Otherwise, there, there won't be any change. And I think underlying it, the dynamic at work is the partisanship. So like to go back to Fetterman, no one is looking at that election and saying, who would be the best senator? Literally no one, no journalist, people either support the Democrat or the Republican. So then if you support the Democrat, it doesn't literally does not matter what Fetterman does. They will support him. And that's a real problem. It's not just because we need to work together. It's because, as Jen was saying, there's no truth anymore. Everyone is just supporting a party line and we need to know the truth. Reality matters. Yeah, I mean, it's arguable in Pennsylvania, which is my home state, neither candidate um, was really, you know, you have one that's like a TV celebrity and another who is compromised from his recent stroke. We didn't really give people a decent choice mm -hmm. in a sense. And so they voted according to party lines. Now, most are going to do that anyway, but I think that there, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take a huge percentage of people defecting from party um, who align themselves in a more unaffiliated fashion like I do that are willing to kind of vote for the candidate they believe in. But we need a candidate we can believe in. Yeah. You know, when offered no real great option, you you most people will default to party line. And yeah. I don't understand why we can't collectively do better on either side, honestly. Well, and, and, and as people have been saying now for days, candidates matter. I mean, we're seeing the same thing in Georgia, really. We're seeing two very yep. underqualified candidates. One got in on a runoff prior. And, you know, uh, I, I, I know Herschel a little bit, but I, I look, it, what they're voting for is someone to get in there and, but, you know, push the button on the voting that they want them to. So you're absolutely right. This has to do with party. It doesn't have to do with the person. And it's, it's, 
it's it's so aggravating and it's it's disheartening because there are you can think of a million people in your own circle a million is a stretch but you can think of a lot of people you'd rather have run for office than some of the people that you see but they're not going to do it because the, the the sausage making is so despicable and i just i just wonder what each individual citizen can do to sort of better the lot of our future i don't know jennifer is is that just being too Pollyanna, too naive? No, I mean, look, I think everybody has their own part to play. And, and a big part of it is say what you think, stand up for what you believe in, do not be silenced because you're called a mean name. Um, but I, I will also say as confounding as the election results were in some ways, there were moms across the country that ran for school board Yeah, that won. Yeah. There were moms who I, I know several, you know, I know one in Southern California. I know another in Oregon. These are just regular moms who were like, it's enough, who fought for schools to open in most instances because of the states I just mentioned, Oregon and California were not successful. Um, but they said, I'm not going to just keep using my voice. I'm going to actually do something and I'm going to run for local office. So to me, that's encouraging. And yeah. School board candidates across the country, a lot of them were moms. They were pissed off moms. A lot of them are school choice candidates, which I yes. also think is a unexamined um, win from my perspective from this recent election. And even governors on both sides of the aisle ran on more school choice. So yeah. that to me is heartening. But I think you have to find your thing. I mean, I was asked right after I quit and there was a lot about me in the news. A couple people approached me for to run for office here in Colorado. And I'm like, absolutely not. I just <laughs> spent 30 years having to manage everything I say. I just spent two years being torn down. Like I'm not going to put myself out there in that way. Plus, it's not something I've ever wanted to do. And I feel like I can be useful in a different way, which is setting an example for using your yes. voice, writing this book, making the film. You have to find your thing. Maybe your thing is teacher and you're going to fight to teach kids in the classroom and help close this terrible gap that, you know, is happening right now. I can't tell each individual what to do, but you've got to find your thing. And I am really proud of these moms who put themselves out there and actually ran for office and won. It's amazing. Well, I'm really proud to know you and you are setting an example in the way that you not only wrote the book, you've stood up, you've talked publicly, you've stood by, stood your ground, stood by your values. And this this book is terrific. I want people to get it. Again, it's uh, Levi's Unbuttoned by Jennifer Say. And Daniel, you've got a, I, I don't, this is going to sound so dorky. So I'm trying to put it in the right way that doesn't sound <clears throat> dorky and like I'm just throwing you a softball. But, okay. you know, you know Jennifer better than anyone. You see her as a mother, as someone who was brilliant in her job, who is now tackling you know, this, this is a major issue and yeah. doing it in her own way, in the ways that she is beautifully capable of doing. And I just wonder how, how, what life is like now as you watch her go and do these things and, and continue to be the mom to your kids and all the rest. Well, a line I like to use is that my wife is also my hero. That's what I like to say. And part of what underpins that is I don't think it was so easy for her. And she talks about this a little bit in the book. She's not naturally a person that likes to stand out from the crowd 
or disobey instructions or be a rabble rouser. Um, so she talks about in the book that if she was able to do it, if she was able to stand her ground, then perhaps it can inspire other people. You don't have to think of yourself as a great hero. Anyone can do it and you can do it in your own little way. You can complain at your school if they're not allowing parents to come into lunch because they still have COVID rules or if there's still a mask requirement or whatever it is you care about. It doesn't have to be COVID. Other people have different issues. For me and I think for Jen, we really like to encourage people to figure out what their own convictions are and then to fight for that. I want everyone to fight for what they believe in, even if I disagree with them. What I don't want is for people to follow orders. That's that's what to me is really frightening and un-American when they just are obedient and follow the orders. I don't mind if someone disagrees with me. Come, let's argue about it. Let's figure it out. Maybe you'll change my mind. Um, and it's just something I've been thinking about since the COVID started. It looks like a lot of people would rather be in the majority than be right. And that's been a really terrifying realization for me to tying back what we were saying. And I think we need to bring that back in America Give me liberty or give me death. Figure out it's in. Figure out what you how you want to live, and then do it. Yeah. Don't do what other people tell you to do. Amen to that, Jennifer. Congratulations on the book. When now? What's the status of the of the the film? Um, we are probably eighty percent, roughly, shot. Meaning, film in the can, as they used to say. It's yeah. now digital, so there's no can. Um, we've got a few kids that we continue to follow to see how they're doing. So we have families across the country, kids across the country impacted by school closures, and we want to see how their stories play out. So that's why we continue to film. And we have one or two more um, that we want to pick up at this point, you know, and, 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 and tell their story. So we're about 80% filmed and we've got probably six to nine months of editing. So it's a, it's a long, it's a long process, but we need to see how these stories play out. And sadly, there's so much uncertainty for a lot of these kids. Like we just don't know what's going to happen to them. There were opportunities that were potentially lost forever. Um, you know, kids who weren't recruited, who can't afford college without, you know, the, the sports scholarship, um, kids who missed months and months. You know, we have one young woman who was hospitalized for basically a mental and emotional collapse for, for months and months. And she continues to struggle um, to find her way back to normalcy and go to school, et cetera. So this idea that schools were just closed for whatever, two weeks, two months, two years, and now everything's fine is not true. Yeah. Um, these kids continue to suffer and will for some time. And we just want to tell their stories. And, and I'm really frustrated that no candidate seemed to run and there doesn't seem to be a national conversation, even though there's agreement that the kids are not all right. Yeah. Where's the conversation on what we're going to do about yeah. it? Yeah. There isn't one. Neither, neither party has any plan. No one has stood up and said, gee, we made children sacrifice two years of their lives because we were scared of COVID. Let's try and figure out how to help them now. I haven't heard anyone say that. I, I, I got to admit, I haven't either. And so uh, that's uh, that's another another mission for all of us to get behind sure. and, and hold people accountable. Accountability seems to be 
in short supply these days. And it's, it's quite aggravating. Um, I, again, I congratulate you on the book. I loved it. Uh, I encourage people to go out and get a copy of it. I'm going to get it for a bunch of people for, for holidays, for holiday gifts, because it just, you know, you think as you're living your story that, that, and, and you talk to, Megan Kelly and you talk to all these different and news outlets and you talk to little old me and you go, okay, now it's out there. Well, I'm, I know there are people who don't know your story yet and I'm going to show them your story because it's really, really an important part of the past and, and now the future of how we handle similar situations as we move on in this country. And, and hopefully Daniel, as you said, continue to be the beacon for the rest of the world or what is yeah. what's freedom supposed to look like. America. So, America. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's Thank good you. to see Thank you. Michelle. Thanks right. for having us and great. all your support. You've been amazing. I just, I believe in you. I really do. And I, and it's just really important. So you, you'll always have my support, you guys. And take care, folks. Get the book. Daniel, you want to show it again? Yeah. You're such always. a good hand model. Levi's unbuttoned, Jennifer Say, um, and she's got this documentary coming out that we will keep an eye on and let you know about. And uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Sideline Sanity. Be brave and do good. Happy to talk once again with Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. You know, I think it still is confusing to people, uh, some people, uh, as to why a precious metals investment would be a worthwhile one, particularly at this time when they're thinking, I'm doing all I can to put gas in the car. Why is now a particularly good time? And we'll go from there to how small of an investment is worthwhile for someone? You know, great question. And I think the the importance of why really comes into the fact that we have to save for ourselves, whether it's a little here, a little there, whether it's making it a plan and putting out so much a paycheck, whether it's making sure we fund our retirement account, we have to realize we are responsible for ourselves in the long run. <laughs> you mean that no one else is going to ride up and save us, you know, on some white steed? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. You know, that, and anyone who's promising to do that is getting ready to take advantage of you in some form or fashion. Yeah. And so, so if, if I'm an investor, a potential investor, and I'm looking at legacy precious metals and I'm saying to myself, yeah, I, I, this sounds smart. I don't have a lot to spend. What would you tell that person? I would say, do what you can. If you never start, you never get there. So the most important step you can take is saying, I'm going to take care of myself and my family. I'm going to make it a plan. I'm going to take action. I'm going to start in the way that's comfortable for me. That's the important thing. The first step is always the hardest, but once you take that first step, the second step is easier and then you're moving. And then once you're in motion, it's hard to stop you. So that first step, most important step. I always tell people they can call and talk to an IRA expert or, or check out the, the guide that they can download for free, the investor's guide. What What is the number one question that you get from people who are first-time investors? The biggest question I get, is this right for me? That is the question. And that comes from everyone. So so everyone's asking the same, is this right for me? And yet we're all so unique. And, and yet it, it is a sound investment for just about any portfolio, isn't it? 
It is. We, even though we're all unique, that uniqueness is going to tailor the way we begin the investment. Okay. But we're all in the same situation. That's the one thing I think we seem to forget in today's society. Whether you agree with somebody or not, we're in this together. America is in this transition that we're in right now. We're dealing with the same issues. Some people like them, some don't. But we're all in it together, right? So the need is the same. How we prepare and how we invest is what changes from person to person. But we all have that same need. It's a great point. And again, I encourage people to 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 just make the call, pick up the phone. That step is always the hardest. I'm not sure why that is. In any kind of effort that you make in life, whether it's weight loss or exercise or investing some way to better your life, it always seems like that first hurdle is is the challenge. Uh, but when they call, who who are they going to talk to? Who what what's going to be on the other end of the line for them? Great question. You're, you're going to speak with one of our customer representatives. And their job is not to sell you metals, right? We have a much different approach. We're going to answer all your questions. We're going to show you what options you have. And on the rare occasion, this isn't right for you. We're going to say this probably isn't right for you. Um, we have a gold company here, but you know, I, I say it all the time. What we actually deal in is customer service. We want each and every individual that calls to get the answers they need to be able to make the decision that's right for them. And we want to do that in a way that's not pushy, that's not salesy. And that's what makes my team so special. We care about each and every caller. And we're going to show you what options you have, and then you get to make an informed decision. So don't be afraid of the phone call. It's the best thing you can do. And this is why I am so honored and I feel privileged to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. They're the ones that I'm going to deal with, and I encourage you to pick up the phone, give them a call. Even easier, go check out their their guide it's a free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. But as you said, Charles, pick up the phone. You're going to talk to someone who can answer your specific questions and get get the ball rolling, get, get started, do something that is a long-term play for your family's benefit. Charles, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always great to be here. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it and i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com